Well, if you have your Bibles or if you want to look on the screen, we're going to reread Psalm 24. The title of the message today is The Impossible Climb. And you'll probably see where we get that title from the text, but let's read the passage again. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in His holy presence? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob, Selah. Lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let us pray. Father, the task before us today entails me being a herald a preacher, one who proclaims your word to everyone assembled here this morning. But they also have an equally sobering task. They are responsible for what they hear. So may they have, may they give their full attention to the preaching of your word. It's not just the voice of a mere man. This is your word. So help us to hear it. Help us to be attentive. Spirit of the living God, give us ears to hear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I figured I would start by way of illustration, a few motivational um, clips for you. Um, See how they work out for you. Because we do have a huge task ahead of us. A mountain that needs to be climbed. I don't think you'll find any of these helpful, but see if they help you in your everyday endeavors, okay? So the first one, the first few that I have in mind are, if you're a golfer, you got to get the golf magazine, and Accenture is one of the sponsors for Tiger Woods, and so here's a few that um, I would just want you to imagine. I don't have the pictures, but one we have, so imagine this picture of Tiger Woods obscured by a tree, and here's the slogan. They're only obstacles if you can't see around them. Now, if you've golfed, even if you see around them, you still hit them every time, right? Um, how about this one? Another one of Tiger Woods shows him trying to hit, a, hit off of a steep slope with the words, or the slogan would go, there's no such thing as a level playing field. That help your golf game? It's never helped mine. <laughs> ask, ask this group of guys in the front, or Pastor Chris, or John, or anybody who's golfed with me. It doesn't really help me. Um, maybe it does for you guys. AJ would attest. I always think I can do it. 
Another shows him bent over. He's bent over the ball, frozen in total concentration. And the slogan says, some watch, some wait, some pounce. Go on, be a tiger. Well, those have never helped me, even in the game of golf. Well, let's look at a few others. We'll turn away from golf. How about Vince Lombardi? Here's a quote from him. Perfection is not attainable, but if we chase perfection, we can achieve excellence. Sounds pretty good. I'm going to have you try that on for size when I get to our passage for the day. I don't think it'll help you. Here's another one. Jimmy Dean. I can't change the direction of the wind, but I can adjust my sails to always reach my destination. We're going to see if this one holds up. See if this one will help us reach the destination being described of in this psalm. Here's one from Theodore Roosevelt. Believe you can, and you're already halfway there. And another... We'll finish with Michael Jordan. I won't go through all 50 of them that I have. So, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. Well, they may help you in the game of basketball or in the game of football. Maybe it'll help you climb the corporate ladder. Maybe it'll help you in golf, or whatever your endeavor is, whatever it is that you want to achieve, but these motivational messages will not help you ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in His holy place. So this is the title of the message, The Impossible Climb, and we'll break this psalm down in three sections. Verses 1 and 2 deal with our relationship to God. Verses 3 through 6 deal with our, the obstacles to God. And verses 7 through 10, there's only one way to God. He's able to make the impossible possible. So we're going to consider those three things. If we're going to make this impossible climb, we're going to start with the idea that, uh, and considering our relationship to God. A little background of the psalm before we start. It is a psalm of David. Um, it's, they're uncertain what the occasion may have been for him writing it. Um, it was probably written to be sung when the Ark of the Covenant was taken up from Obed-Edom um, to remain within the curtains upon the hill of Zion. If you remember anything about the Ark, you're early on in the Bible... Um, God gives Moses instructions and he writes it down and we have all those available for us today. The idea of the ark was that, do you remember what was contained in the ark of the covenant? Inside the ark of the covenant, they had the moral laws, the Ten Commandments. They had Aaron's uh, rod and it also had the manna that God had provided for them. All three of those things signifying man's rebellion and disobedience against a holy God. His moral law, their rebellion against Moses and Aaron, and even God's provision 
If you remember their wilderness wanderings, they were known for their complaining. And so all three of those elements was inside the Ark of the Covenant. Over top of the Ark, you had the two angels looking down, representing God's view of our sin. This is what was one of the... Um, one of the pieces of furniture within the Holy of Holies. And so David, when he's saying, who can ascend, who can stand in the presence of God? God's fully aware of all your sins. Do you remember when you go through the Bible, you're reading the Bible, how many could enter? No one. One person, once a year, even when he went in, he had to go in with a blood sacrifice, pour it on the mercy seat so God would overlook their sins. But that was never a permanent remedy. It was pointing toward a future event, a future person who would have access and who would gain access for all who would put their faith and trust and confidence in him. So the Ark of the Covenant is what's being spoken of here. It speaks of God's presence. Who can make this impossible climb. So let's start with verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. The world and all those who dwell in it. Everything is His. Everything this earth produces, all that it contains, the fullness thereof, is God's. All the diamonds, all the rubies, gold and silver, platinum, it's his. The organic, the inorganic, it's God's. The plants, the birds, the fish, the seas, everything, it is his. Even the time that he gives you and I, every single moment of every single day is his. All is his. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. The world and those who dwell in it. Everything is His, including you. He is the sovereign Lord over everything and we are His subjects. If you remember the Genesis account, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He is the sovereign Lord over everything. And we are his subjects. When he created man, man was created to do what? To glorify God. By enjoying him forever. It was God's representative here on earth. They were God's stewards. Responsible for his earth. All of their time, energies, skills, cognitive abilities, everything is God's. And they were to manage those for His glory. No wonder the scriptures say, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. So the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the fullness of it, the world and those who dwell in it. You know, some of the early words that we learn as infants, I think the first word that everyone learns is, It's not mama or papa, it's no, because we tell them no all the time, right? But shortly thereafter, they learn another one. Mine. The problem is, is we never grow out of it. We assume that everything is ours. It's my car. It's in my name. 
It's my house. Well, it's still the bank's. But you get the point. I, I assume that it's mine, or, or I live with that notion that it is mine. My kids. They're not my kids. They're his. And I will be held accountable one day for how I raised them. What I taught them. It is my wife, but it's the wife he gave me. I will be held accountable and so will you. Every single moment of every single day that you had and how you... how you were a steward of everything he's giving you, you will have to give account for it. Notice it's the world and those who dwell in it. Uh, whether you're red, yellow, black, or white, whether you're a potentate or a pauper, whether you're a man, woman, boy, or girl, you're his. All the gifts, talents that you have, they're his. And God has called you to be a representative. Amen. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. The world and those who dwell in it. Verse 2, For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters or the rivers. It should dispel the notion that many people have today. That you and I are here by random chance. Given enough time over eons and eons and billions and billions of years by some cataclysmic, cosmic bang, you're here. That's not the case, folks. You are not here by chance. God is the sovereign one. He's the sovereign Lord over everything. Everything exists by the word of His mouth. He is the one who has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Well, these first two verses have massive implications for you and I. God is sovereign. We're not. We're His subjects. You will have to give account to Him one day. You will have to account for every thought, deed, Everything you did or did not do that you should have done, you will have to give account as his steward, as his representative here on earth. Did you live a life that glorified him every moment of every day throughout your life? Talk about massive implications. It is. It's quite sobering. And he's the God who sees and knows all things. Your wife may not know. Your neighbor may not know. Those in the church may not know. But he knows all things. He sees and knows all things. He is the sovereign Lord over everything. I could have bypassed verse 1 and 2 if every one of you would have been in Sunday school. Because we covered that. God is the sovereign Lord over everything. This is pretty weighty. No wonder the psalmist or David... When he starts verse 3, he's thinking, wow, these are huge implications. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in His holy place? Who is it that can come into the presence of God? And even if you were able to climb that hill, 
Would you be found standing when it's all said and done? Will he say, welcome, come on in? Or will he say, depart from me into outer darkness, into everlasting torment, into the lake of fire? What would his reception be? None of these motivational clips that I gave you will help you. It says, who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? There are people today trying to achieve great things. Gold medals. Some people are so crazy to climb Mount Everest. You want to talk about an impossible climb? Try this one. To come into the presence of Almighty God, who's holy. And then to stand there. The idea of standing is that you would continue to stay there, that you would dwell there, reside there, that that would be your eternal abode. When you realize that you have to give account for your whole life, you and I spend so much of our time asking such trivial questions. Ridiculously trivial. We often don't spend time asking the big questions of life. A question like this. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in His holy place? It makes every other question that you will face today seem trivial and ridiculous. Maybe you're already thinking, I'm going to Handel's and they have all those flavors. Which one will you go for? And it is complicated at times. <laughs> or maybe you're looking at buying a new car. Or in the market of buying a house. Except I understand a lot of people are suspending that idea since the market's up. Or maybe a career change. Now some of those are weightier, but they all pale in comparison to the question before you and I today. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in His holy place? Probably the biggest question you can ever ask. And the question before us is what one that should be asked by every one of us. And none should be at ease until they have received an answer of peace. It is a question we should ask. And you should not be at ease until you receive an answer of peace. So, I trust today that you will give your time and your attention, give serious consideration for the remainder of the message. Give careful consideration. We should be inquiring and let us inquire, Lord, is it I? Can I make this climb? Well, that's the big question at hand. Let's look at the qualifications. Verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessings from the Lord and vindication from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Notice in verse 5 and 6, you have the promise of blessing, vindication. You would be able to ascend and reside there if the qualifications in verse 4 are met. If you are a seeker of Him, 
who seek God's face and Him alone. The problem is, is that there is none that seeks after God, no, not one. I hope you understand right now why I'm saying this is the obstacle to God. Verses 1 and 2, it represents and it should create great consideration for our relationship to God. Verses 3 through 6, it's the obstacle to God. Let's deal with each one of the four. The first qualifications, he says, clean hands. And he's not talking because of this COVID crisis going on. Um, he he, he wasn't, wasn't alarmed by that. When the Bible's talking about clean hands, it's talking about our outward external holiness. Where do your hands take you when you go on the internet? Are they clean? Or does it take you to some perverted site? Where do your hands take you? When you jump in the car, has it ever been guilty of bloodshed, violence? You could go on and on. Think about it. Most everything you and I do, we use our hands. And the hands are just figurative, the part for the whole. It, it really entails the whole idea that what you do with your body, it's the external things. Well, do you have clean hands? That's one of the qualifications. But notice it doesn't just stop at external hands. You may be able to deceive someone else and say, I am a really good person. I have clean hands. Look at all the good things I do and I've never committed any sins. Well, it doesn't stop at just clean hands. It goes on to a pure heart. Clean hands would represent the external, the outward. The pure heart would represent the inward man. See, it's that inward man that motivates your hands to do what they do. It's your passions, your drives, your desires, your longings. It's the inward man. Is it pure? I remember going to Sam's Club years ago and I went and thought I was buying 100% pure maple syrup. It said pure maple syrup and then on little, all the way down at the bottom, it was only 20% pure. Well, that's not pure. Unmixed, untainted. That you have a heart that is 100% pure. Undefiled, no mixture, of sin. You need to understand your hearts are more truly ourselves than what you would think. If I lost my hands or feet, I am still me. Maybe limited, but I'm still me. Do you have a pure heart? Do you have clean hands? If you're doing good, if you can say yes to both of these, you're doing pretty good. Maybe you can make that ascent up the hill. And maybe you can stand in this holy place. The third qualification is your devotion to God. You and I exist to glorify God. 
God should consume our thoughts, our passions, our desires, our delight. He should be the treasure of our heart. That everything else in comparison to Him would pale. Are you devoted to God? If Barn is correct, which I don't know. I don't know if we can trust pollsters anymore. But if he is correct, he says that the average Christian, those who profess to be born again, spend less than three minutes in prayer a week. I'm not sure how God could be in our minds or in our thoughts or that we could ever profess to be totally devoted to God. Are you guys feeling the weightiness of this? Do you think you can make that ascent? Do you think, is, is there even the possibility that there's any hope? And then fourthly, it talks about honest motives. No lying lips. Our mouths tell on us all the time. Now the person you're talking to may not know that you're lying. Kind of embarrassing when they do. Um, but how about your motives? Are they honest? Are they pure? All four of these qualifications, if we was to sum them up and put them in one category, speaks of holiness. That you're wholly devoted to God. 100%. 100% clean hands, pure heart, totally devoted to God, honest speech. And we know from the writer of Hebrews that without holiness, you will not see God. This isn't a real good, feel-good message up to this point. Matter of fact, verses 3 through 6 actually present the problem. It's the obstacle to God. It's the roadblock. It's the blockade. It speaks of our insufficiencies, our inadequacies, our inabilities. Now at this point in time, some of you may be tempted to think, well, maybe God grades on a curve. My professors did. Um, I'm not as bad as that person over there. I know people much worse than me. Or maybe you've... These are all popular amongst all of us. We do all these things. I'm not nearly as bad as that person over there. Or maybe we make excuses for our actions. It's the wife you gave me. Or it's the family I was born into. Nurture or nature. It's my environment. It's this educational system. We excuse our behavior. We've seen it in the Genesis account. The first sin recorded in the scriptures, the fall of Adam and Eve. These are things they tried. Excuses. It's the wife you gave me. It's this woman. Which kind of implicates her and God. That's what he's trying to do. Or it's the devil made me do it. We make excuses. Or we blame others. Uh, it's you're the reason I'm upset that I swore at you that I cursed at you that I flipped you off that I we start making excuses it's or I'm hungry it's because I'm really hungry or it's that time of month or we start to blame 
It's not me. It couldn't possibly be me. Or maybe we even try to cover it up, try to hide it, try to conceal it. Well, it's not good news to this point because we're all implicated. There's none of us that seek after God. There's none righteous, no, not one. If the psalm ended here, you and I would be without hope. We would receive our just condemnation, resulting in death, cast into outer darkness, into the lake of fire, eternally tormented. If the psalm ended here, that would be your plight and mine. And if this must be true of all of us, and we are left to ourselves, to meet such demands, we can only despair as ones who have failed. Well, fortunately, the psalm does not end there. There is good news. Verses 7 through 10. Lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. I want us to pause just a moment before we go into the good news. Remember at the end of verse 6 it said Selah. It really indicates to us that it really should, we should take a pause, think about things, meditate on it, stew over it, just wrap our minds around it. I think oftentimes most of us don't feel the weightiness of our sins and the consequences of them and, and we should consider what our end would be. We'll see that verses 7 through 10 end with Selah and we'll take a time there to pause and consider the implications of verses 7 through 10. So lift up your head, O gates, in verse 7 and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. We learn the answer to David's question in Psalm 3. In verse 3, I mean. So we learn the answer to David's question his question is, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in His holy place? And we find the answer in verse 7 and 8. Lift up your head, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. I'll keep, this, I'll keep you out of suspense. I'll, I'll give you the answer. It's Jesus. He is the King of glory. Now go, go with me to the gospel narratives. You don't need to turn in your Bibles. I'll try to uh, take us through that narrative. Jesus lived on this earth for nearly 30 to 33 years. Lived a perfect sinless life. He had clean hands. He had a pure heart. He was 100% devoted to God. 
and he spoke the truth. His last week on earth, he comes to Jerusalem and he starts the ascent. He comes to the city gates, they are flung open wide, and he has a host of people shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They pulled out the red carpet, well, palm branches. They made an entrance for him. Come in! In less than a week's period of time, that same crowd is crying, Crucify him. Crucify him. See, when he entered those gates to the city, he was only at the foothill of the climb. Now we have his arrest, his fake trial, and then he makes his ascent up the hill called Golgotha. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who's devoted to God, who speaks the truth, has crucified. Not for his sins, but for yours and for mine. He was bearing the sins of the world upon his shoulders. And as he's on that cross, does the Father welcome him, accept him? No, Jesus quotes from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's facing the full wrath and fury of God, all of hell's torments, on your behalf and mine. The story's not over. He died was buried. Three days later, he rose from the grave. And he continues his ascent. Verses 9 through 10, Lift up your head, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Heaven's gates are flung wide open. The pearly gates. And the angels are shouting, Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. They open wide the gates of heaven. Jesus is God's faithful representative. He made an entrance into the presence of God on behalf of all who would put their faith and trust and confidence in Him. If you read the book of Revelations, you kind of see that scene in heaven where the angels, they're all around like, Who is this dude? This lamb who was slain, this lion of the tribe of Judah, that he is the king of glory. Jesus ascended the hill. He stands in God's presence for you and I, if you will but trust in him. The third point of the message today, by the way, if I didn't mention it, He's the only way to God. He's the only way that you have access to God. So that on the day of judgment, if you were to stand before God, which you will, will you hear 
Welcome, or will you hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Well, there is a third application to verses 7 through 10. And it's also found in the book of Revelation. It entails the idea of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. And if you would but open the door, he will come in. Lift up your head, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. What about you, sir? What about you, ma'am? Young one? Will you receive him? Have you believed on him? Have you trusted him? Do you know him? And notice verse 10 ends with Selah. Means we should stop to pause and consider what our reception of Christ is. Have we received him as the King of glory, the one who conquered death on our behalf, conquered hell, the grave? He defeated sin, both its penalty and its power on our behalf. Or are you keeping him at a bay? Well, in closing, this message actually applies to all of us. If you're outside of Christ today, you need to understand that one day you will make that climb. And I'm not sure of your reception. Well, I am sure of your reception if you do not receive Christ and trust in Him and believe on Him as your Lord and Savior and treasure of your heart and life. He will say to you, depart. But there's good news for you today. If you're still outside of Christ, there is the open invitation. Receive me. Receive all I've done for you. Stop your rebellion. Stop rejecting. Stop suppressing the truth. Receive me. If you're a believer today, you ought to receive him daily. He ought to be the nourishment of your soul. Your mind ought to be saturated saturated with who He is and what He's done on your behalf. There should be nothing else more exciting than who God is and what He's done on your behalf through Christ Jesus. That said, I, I don't know as though I can believe in polls that He would not get more than three minutes of our attention throughout the week for those who profess to be Christians. I hope that's not our case. If it is, shame on us. Actually, when the passage I quoted from Revelation actually is to the church. He's speaking to the church as one who's standing outside the door and knocking. Like, let me in. Could you imagine having church without Jesus? Uh, Let me in. It's all about me. What about you and your personal life? Stand fast in the gospel. Treasure it. All the marvels and wonders and splendors of who He is and what He's done on your behalf should delight your soul. It should be nourishment for your soul. Well, let us close in prayer. Father, again, we thank You for such a great way of salvation. In and of ourselves, we are inadequate, insufficient, 
Left to ourselves, we would be in despair facing your judgment and your wrath. But there is hope. There is one who has ascended Calvary on our behalf, conquered death, hell, and the grave, defeated sin on our behalf, so that we would have entrance into the, to the very presence of God, so that we could hear on that day, welcome. I pray that there would be not one person today in this room that would leave away ignoring such a great message of salvation. That if they were to put their trust in you today, they would have despair would be turned into hope. Do that in each and every heart today. In Christ's name, amen. Sunday of the month of August, in case you weren't aware of that, and uh, which is part of our tradition here at Sovereign Grace Chapel, is we observe.